Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, Week Eight is in the books. Uh, did Did you survive the several heart attacks that were being at the Virginia Tech game this weekend? I'm back on the road, Joey. I am in a hotel room playing a road game, as you might tell by my audio quality. But mm-hmm. hopefully, it's not as bad as the bee buzzing thing we did last week. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, to answer your question, yeah, I survived, Joey. I survived. Big dub. Um, Joey, what did you learn this weekend? What did I learn about the ACC this weekend? Uh, Mike, I think I have we, – we, so we've agreed for a while here that we know who the worst team in the ACC is, right? It's pretty clear. That's my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. I, 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 well, yeah, we, we thought. Still are. <laughs> Probably still are. We'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. But, I, Mike, I think the thing that I've learned – I think I know who the second worst team in the ACC is now, definitively. Oh, me too. I wish we could segue with that into our first game, but I got something I learned, Joey. Yeah, I let me let me start by saying that I think it's not the team that you're going to think it is. I could, I could use that segue to make fun of Miami, but I'm not. It, it's <laughs> That's what I thought you were doing. Yeah, that's what I thought you were doing. It's the Syracuse Orange. No, Syracuse yeah, is bad. They are certified bad. Like um, capital B bad. bad is Syracuse. So. Um, as we start to try to maintain a little bit of order in the ACC, we now have a second worst team, and I think that's an accomplishment for this weekend. We'll say that. Yeah, uh, not bad. Um, what is it you Joey, I, le- uh, I was going to say I learned something, Joey. Okay. Virginia Tech? Uh-huh. Not dead yet, baby. They're not dead yet. That That's that's correct. I'll give them that. They're not dead yet. That is that is a certainty. Virginia Tech? Not dead. That that will that will give them. Um, let's just use that. And just jump into the first game. That's what we got to talk about. Your Virginia Tech Hokies, forty three. North Carolina, forty one. In a whopping six overtimes, Mike. And hell yeah. In what we are uh, what we are approaching is the post game cigarette game of the week. This was it this week. My goodness, what an absolutely wild football game this was. There were so many twists and turns. Virginia Tech has to change quarterbacks like on multiple occasions for injuries. There was a tight end playing running back at one point. Um, again, the game goes into six overtimes, which now exercises for the first time the new rule that the fifth overtime starts with just only two-point conversion plays. That all happened. There were like four missed field goals in overtime. Absolutely wild, wild game that you were there in attendance for. Ultimately, Virginia Tech comes out the winners. This is a really big win for the Hokies, no matter how you slice it up. Yeah, so 
Um, Virginia Tech had three different quarterbacks throw a touchdown pass in this game. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Um, and that was only the start of the craziness, right? So, Hendon Hooker comes out, plays well in the first half. He did have a fumble, which wasn't good, but he was 8 of 12 for 127 yards and a touchdown, so that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, yeah, not bad. He, um, <laughs> They're saying he's going to be back in a few weeks. Let's just let's wait and see. His knee, Joey, went a way that it's not supposed to bend. A um, hmm. little bit of a slick field at Lane Stadium, and that was not pretty. Um, <laughs> that's not good. But, yeah, it wasn't good. Um, he's replaced by Ryan Willis, who throws. Okay, so let's back up a step. Virginia Tech falls behind, seventeen to seven in this football game. Uh, they they end up scoring to make it seventeen to fourteen. Hedden Hooker gets hurt. Ryan Willis comes in, first play from scrimmage right before halftime. Throws a touchdown pass to Damon Hazelton. Virginia Tech takes the lead going into halftime, twenty-one seventeen. So they took all the momentum back from North Carolina. Sam Howell in this game, he was pretty good. Um, at times. So he, he finished 26 of 49, uh, 348 yards and five touchdowns. He impressed me at times. There were other times where I thought he held on to the ball a little bit too long. Uh, a lot of credit goes to the Virginia Tech defense, which gave up almost 500 yards and somehow, in my opinion, played their best game of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, really getting after the quarterback. They were stopping the run um, most of the time. Um, you know, North Carolina averaged under four yards per carry. I thought that was that was uh, an improvement for Virginia Tech's defense. Uh, Virginia Tech ran the ball well for the third week in a row. They averaged over four yards per carry. They ended up having to put the ball uh, in the hands of their quarterback, Quincy Patterson, who came in for Ryan Willis. So Hendon Hooker was ruled out after halftime. Um, Ryan Wells comes in first possession in the second half, takes a really bad sack and knocks Virginia Tech out of field goal range. Coaching staff said, okay, we're not going to play this game again. We're not going to go down the Ryan Willis route because we'll be toast if we do. It, really did feel like kind of, it did feel like you kind of knew how that was going to end if they went with Ryan Willis. Exactly. And, and despite Willis throwing a touchdown pass, it ended up being crucial in the football game, and that's not lost. Trust me, that's not lost on me. That was a big, big, big play in the game to take the lead before halftime and a beautiful throw and catch. The Hokies knew that they needed a spark offensively and that Ryan Willis was going to do a lot of this up-and-down stuff that he's been doing all year, and the offense can't function that way. North Carolina, it turns out, didn't seem all that prepared for what was coming next, Joey. Um, Quincy Patterson comes in the game, third-string quarterback. I've talked about him on this podcast a lot, four-star recruit, former Elite 11 guy, kind of a late bloomer, a little bit raw coming out of high school despite his, uh, despite his rating. Comes in the game, and... Joey, all he did was run the ball 21 times for 122 yards and a touchdown. Um, his touchdown, of course, the decisive one, the sixth overtime. He was unbelievably good. Um, ran the ball downhill. North Carolina couldn't tackle him. Um, he broke loose a, a couple different times. Um, Joey, I, I mean, I don't – ESPN actually has this incorrect, so he – he broke loose for that long touchdown run um, in the fourth quarter, I believe, and then mm-hmm. he scored again in overtime. He actually had two touchdowns. ESPN showing it as one. I'm just reading the stats as I recall what happened. Um, so that's incorrect. But anyway, he had two rushing touchdowns in this football game. That was really good. Um, North Carolina didn't really have an answer for him. So even though, you know, Virginia Tech became very one-dimensional offensively, it was pretty clear that North Carolina couldn't do a whole lot to stop it on defense. And, there were a lot of twists and turns in the extra period in the extra periods, right? Like this game goes to overtime. 
Khalil Ladler comes up with two huge tackles. He's a reserve safety, Joey. Um, he was a starter last year. He's a guy who's come in. He's kind of been the fifth defensive back, at times the sixth defensive back. So he's played, but it hasn't been like a ton of snaps relative to what he did a year ago. Comes in, makes two crucial tackles in overtime, stops North Carolina on the first play of the fifth overtime, so their first two-point conversion attempt. Uh, makes a, makes a tackle in the open field. And then in the sixth overtime, he sacked Sam Howell. So he made two massive, massive plays in that overtime period. Rayshard Ashby, linebacker for Virginia Tech, he's been a stud all year, finishes the game with 17 tackles. So it was a very quiet 17, but he's been the most effective player on Virginia Tech's defense all year long, and that continued on Saturday. And, Joey, it was just a resilient win. I mean, it goes back and forth. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff I'm missing. There were missed field goals in, in the overtime. There were four overtimes that didn't even have a score, or I guess third, fourth, and fifth overtime didn't have a score anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, go from the second to the sixth overtime where, you know, no points are being scored. Quincy Patterson, by the way, throws a touchdown pass on fourth and three in the second overtime. Virginia Tech looked like they were dead in the water. Um and he throws a dime to Damon Hazleton to extend the game. Joey, it was unbelievable. The game was wild. I'm glad I was there. One of the craziest games I've ever seen in Lane Stadium. And Virginia Tech, look, they clearly have flaws, right? Like every other team in the Coastal, they have their flaws. Some would say they have more than most or some at key positions. But the way I look at the way that this team has played since Hendon Hooker has entered the lineup, it's been a more consistent offensive attack. They've run the ball a lot better. They're not turning the ball over nearly as much, even though they had two turnovers to North Carolina zero mm -hmm. um, on Saturday. They haven't, they've done a much better job at, at taking care of the football and their defense, Joey, like I said, despite giving up almost 500 yards, their defense played their most complete game of the season. In my opinion, on Saturday, it was a really rough first quarter, but they recovered after that and played quite well. I thought so it was a, very solid Virginia Tech performance against a North Carolina team that is a couple possessions away from an upset against Clemson, a win against Virginia Tech. Um, they could have beaten Wake Forest. They could have beaten App State. Like this is a good North Carolina team that happens to have four losses. So this is a this is a huge win. This is you know the players didn't quit on Fuente and the coaching staff. I know I've rambled way too long. So uh, your turn. <laughs> I. You were talking about that touchdown pass that uh, in the second overtime that Quincy Patterson threw to Damon Hazleton. Like, my goodness, he, you couldn't have walked over there and put it in a better spot. And you also couldn't have walked over there and handed it to Hazleton and made that one-handed catch look any easier. I mean, that was a, a pretty remarkable play. Again, on a fourth down, and that was, again, that was like a 12- or 13-yard pass. They didn't need all of that at once. And, Joey, that was his second one-handed catch of the game. He had a one-handed touchdown catch on the Ryan Willis dime before halftime. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> maybe get him the ball more. Um, yes, quite good. Yeah, Quincy Patterson comes into this game, and it really it really changed the dynamic. So we're talking about him, and he played most of the second half and all of overtime. Finishes this game throwing a grand total of six passes, Mike. Um, the offense, as much as we've criticized them, and I say we, I have criticized them for being completely unnecessarily run heavy here. Quincy Patterson comes into the game after halftime, finishes with 21 carries, but that goes for 122 yards and a score, um, including a, a huge game-tying 53-yard run right up the gut, you know, with about four minutes left to go in the game. Um, it was That was the difference, was bringing in Quincy Patterson, and that guy is a friggin' freight train, Mike. 6'4", 245, 
it was clear that North Carolina did not they did not have an answer for him, at least in the in the way they couldn't tackle him, like you mentioned. And really, it felt like they did not adjust at all defensively for the change in game plan that happened when Patterson came into the game. Like run heavy as Virginia Tech has been, they like dialed that thing up to eight or nine. It was like we're yeah. almost just not going to pass unless we absolutely have to. Yep. It was a run heavy offense, and they kept like Quincy Patterson kept keeping the ball on these option plays and North Carolina never seemed interested in containing him. They kept, you know, flowing over to Deshaun McLeese and such, you know, as they were handing the ball off on sweeps and such. So I don't know. It was, it was a, it was a poor performance. I thought in some ways from North Carolina's defense who realistically, maybe not that good. Um, it seems like you can really run the ball with some effectiveness against them. The other thing I thought here, especially later in this game as it wore on, we mentioned Sam Howell, and he he had some really good moments, especially I thought in the first half. I felt like, Mike, as this game went on and on and the atmosphere started you know, really ramping up towards the end and the pressure got on more and more, I felt like Sam Howell had a bit of a, what we'll call a prolonged freshman moment. Um, he seemed like he really kind of turtled up. He he was holding on to the ball forever. He wasn't cutting it loose. And he had plenty of time to throw it in a lot of situations. And the thing that, that I really thought about here, Mike, was that if he's holding on to the ball for six, seven, eight seconds, and he's not finding anyone downfield, either A, it's on him, or B, his wide receivers are completely inexcusably inept at the scramble drill because – as a defensive coordinator, you do not design coverages to work for six, seven, and eight seconds. By that point, your receivers should be able to get open on even the best of secondaries, right? Like, you're designing coverage to be effective until your pass rush gets there. And if your pass rush can't get there at some point, the completion can be on them as opposed to on the coverage. Sam Howell was not cutting the ball loose. I don't know if he was scared. I don't know if the re- receivers, you couldn't really tell if they were just that well covered up or what, but... Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller, Shamari Connor, locked down on Saturday, Joey. I guess. After quarter one, it was locked down. I um, guess, but I'm just saying that, like, NFL corners can't hold coverage for eight seconds at a time, right? Like that's. Oh, well, it's on North Carolina. I'm yeah. 100% on North okay, Carolina. Okay, yeah. And, and, again, credit to Virginia Tech's defense because there is still something to say about being in position to make that a tough decision when it, when it has to happen, but – in any case, um, this was an absolutely wild game, as you said, and we've we've gone through it in a lot of ways. I mean, this will be one of the wilder results that we remember for a while. Um, good win for Virginia Tech. Um, I don't know, man. This is wild. I, I don't know exactly what I take away here. I don't know how replicable this was, really, on either end. Um, I don't know. I don't know. This uh, I think game. this was more. I think this was more replicable for Virginia Tech than the Miami game. Mm-hmm. Um, there were yeah. more. There, there were more aspects of this game you can carry over moving forward um, than five turnovers. A couple of them a little fluky, and Jaron Williams making a bunch of bad decisions. Like Virginia Tech actually lost the turnover battle in this game. They didn't turn over for as well as the defense played. They didn't turn over. North Carolina, except they should have in overtime, by the way. There was a ball that hit Cleo Lather right in the right in the numbers. I mean, for as well as he played in overtime, that was a, that was rough. Um, 
Virginia Tech actually loses the turnover battle in this game. Um, though it wasn't like they were forcing a million turnovers. I, I think this is more replicable than the uh, than the Miami game. Like, you're not turning the team over five or six times. And, Joey, real quick before we move on, I need to correct myself. I'm sitting here. We're sitting here talking about the new overtime rules and how you start going for two in the fifth and sixth overtime. Quincy Patterson actually didn't score a second touchdown run. He actually ran for two. That was a two-point conversion. So, two my bad. touchdown. Yeah, so one touchdown, one two-point conversion. That's my bad. <laughs> That's and my bad. You know what happens. Um, yeah, this is a wild game. As you mentioned, I mean, Virginia Tech's defense gives up, you know, what was it, almost 500 yards on, on you know, for North Carolina's offense. And yet, again, a, a good amount of that was in the first half, and you kind of have a way of coming away feeling feeling good about that. So, I don't know. I, I, the thing I'm curious to see here is if, if this is really the offense that Virginia Tech wants to run, it really feels like Quincy Patterson is, is the guy to do it. And if nothing else, it really feels like Quincy Patterson and Hendon Hooker were – better to run whatever offense they're trying to run than Ryan Willis ever was, which really makes me question why the hell has Ryan Willis been playing so much, even though he did look better than Josh Jackson last year. Like, I don't know. These stick, guys are stick better. With these guys. Yeah. These guys are a better fit for a running for an offense that predicates the, the running game out of the quarterback position. So, yeah. Yep. So do that. Yep. Virginia Tech 43, North Carolina 41 in six overtimes. Hope they, hope Hooker comes back healthy, man. That's – Yeah. You know. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I mean, for as well as Quincy Patterson played, he's still inherently limited. So you, you want to, you want Head and Hooker back. At the end of the day, there I'd like to think there has to be a reason that Quincy Patterson came into this game third-string quarterback in the depth chart. Yep. So. For sure. That's all I got. Let's move on. Mike, can we go ahead and talk about uh, my team? Let's do it, man. That was a big win, too. Uh, yeah, it was. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, 28. The Miami Hurricanes, 21 in overtime. Speaking of wild games, this was a super weird one. Uh, Georgia Tech scores 21 in regulation. The first seven came on Miami's first offensive drive where they uh, pin Miami deep and then get a strip sack, fall on the fumble in the end zone. So that's a touchdown. Their next touchdown came on a fake punt where thick boy punter Presley Harvin dropped an absolute dime down the sideline. Heisman, baby. Oh, yeah. Line him up. I um, tweet that. Nate Cottrell. By the way, Presley Harvin today uh, finished with more passing yards this weekend than Jake Fromm did. Whoops. That's a fun fact. 41-yard um, passing touchdown. Um also, then Jordan Mason took over a lot of this game on Georgia Tech's offense. Uh, 20 carries for 141 yards and score. He was a baller. Um, he looks like he is, he's a really, really good running back. He's really budding in this new offense. Um, overall, this was just this was another game that I don't know how replicable this was. Um, there was a lot of good from Georgia Tech, I would say, especially on offense. I think we're starting to actually see like an identity, some consistency. Um, there's a lot of, there were some clear emphases in this game on getting the ball to Jordan Mason, getting the ball to Amari and Brown, you know, some of the real playmakers. Um, there was a lot of aspects of the play calling that were things that we were asking for like six weeks ago, that now they're starting to happen. It seems like getting some consistency at the quarterback position is paying some, some benefits. Um, even if James Graham only finished the game nine of 18 for 97 yards and a score, like, you still saw some rhythm and some identity that was completely lacking from this offense in the first, call it four or five games of the year. So 
that has been kind of a, a work in progress, and you're starting to see some improvement there, and that's good. Miami in this game, Mike. So start. Let's start here. There were a couple of key injuries. Nikosi Perry separates his shoulder, uh, went out, came back in. Don't really know what his status is going forward. Uh, DJ Dallas goes down. I believe it was a knee or an ankle injury earlier in this game, and he missed most of the game. Cameron Harris carries the load. 18 carries for a paltry 136 yards. Um, that's just, you know only about 7.6 yards per carry, so that's going okay. And yet, all that being said, Miami only manages 21 points, um, and they got shut out in the second half. And you may ask, Mike, how does that happen? Well, let me tell you. So first of all, Georgia Tech had the ball three times after halftime. Two of them, they combined for 30 plays and about 128 yards and over 15 minutes of possession. So they just had two really prolonged drives that, if you look at the drive chart, Mike, they ended in punt, fumble. So it's not like they really did anything with it, but they did chew up some clock and they stayed on the field and you know moved field position and all that that kind of thing. But uh, Miami's drive chart after halftime: punt, punt, miss field goal, miss field goal, turnover on downs to end the game. So you talk about I mean Miami absolutely had a horrific time finishing drives in this game. Um, those were two of the three missed field goals that they had in the game. And by the way, the last one was just outright blocked. It was a short field goal with about two minutes left um, that really should have iced the game for them. And instead, it came out really low. It got blocked and uh, sent the game to overtime. So you could say this is a a good win for Georgia Tech. It's Jeff Collins' first conference win, and um, it's certainly a a really good, you know, uplifting moment for the fans and for the players. Just when I was starting to think that maybe they only find a way to win like one more game the rest of the year, I really didn't think it was going to be this one. But at the end of the day, I, I'm going to be real honest with you here. I'm not really sure how much Georgia Tech won this game. I'm really sure of how much Miami lost this game. This was a train wreck of a game for Miami. This was a total disaster for the Hurricanes. Bingo. The story here, Joey, as much as I would have liked to see Georgia Tech win that game, and they did, right? Mm-hmm. The story is Miami. It has to be. The story is Miami. Um, Joey, this is inexcusable. Um, this year, I don't care. I look, look, all right, let's back, let's back up here. So Manny Diaz says in the post-game press conference, we're in a rebuild. You can see the, you know, it's going to be ugly at first, whatever. I'm paraphrasing. I wish I had um, my, my soundboard because I would play the record scratch. That Just, what? Yeah. They're apparently in a rebuild. Now, if you're considering where they were in the early 2000s to where they are now, I mean, you can argue that they've been in a rebuild for like 20 years. Um, <laughs> they are a perennial seven and eight win program. That's what they are. They won 10 games two years ago out of pure luck. When they started the season 10 and 0 and lost the final three games by astronomical margins. So if you lose that game against Pittsburgh, you're not supposed to lose. You get smoked in the ACC championship game. You get smoked in the bowl game against Wisconsin. There's a reason why all that happened, Joey. It's because this team was not very good. They had a couple of wins against an overrated Virginia Tech team, an overrated Notre Dame team that year. And those were their signature wins at home that they hung their hat on. They were nice wins, Joey, but the margin for victory 
exploded in those two games because of turnovers. You know, we talked about Virginia Tech's win over Miami this year. A big reason why that happened, the sole reason why that happened, in my opinion, is because Virginia Tech turned Miami over five times, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these types of games happen in college football. It's rare that they happen as often as it did three years ago for Miami, the 2017 season, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, so two, two, two full years ago, right? It's not often that you see multiple games where you have unbelievable amounts of turnover luck like Miami had, right? Mm-hmm. With a totally flawed offense, you had a running game that wasn't very good. You had a receiving core that certainly had some talent, but you had a quarterback that was inherently flawed in Malik Rozier. Like they had issues on offense covered up by an incredibly opportunistic defense that was turning over literally everybody they played, right? Sure, there's plenty of talent there on that defense, and there's still talent there now, and a lot of that talent from a couple of years ago is still on the team, Joey. Like, they still have a lot of that defense remaining. A lot of those freshmen and sophomores are now juniors and seniors a couple of years later, and this is a defense that hasn't been very good. They missed a ton of tackles in the open field. You talked about the efficiency running the football for Georgia Tech in this game. Mm-hmm. Miami missed so many tackles. They did. So many tackles. Like, can't happen, Joey. They really And did. it was unbelievable that you have a team as fast and as athletic as Miami that couldn't contain a Georgia Tech offense that has been struggling to find an identity offensively all season long. It was mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Georgia Tech's offensive line – Started to seem like they really got in a rhythm in the second half. They that was probably one of the best halves of football the offensive line has played the entire season. But I I'm not even sure how many of Jordan Mason's yards came from you know after contact. Put it that way. Um, right. There was a a missed tackle epidemic on the Miami defense in this game. Um, I I tweeted this this morning, Mike. And if we, if we want to talk about is Miami in a rebuild. A uh, couple little notes we'll throw in here. They went 26-13 and 13 overall and 16-8 and eight in conference for the past three years. They had the best four-year recruiting ranking in the Coastal entering 2019, and they were projected to win the division by SP+. Where's the rebuild there? Oh, oh, we got we to gotta fix what the previous coaching staff set us up for. Nope. The, the coaching staff that you were part of, Manny, and that yeah. at least half of your assistants were part of. So right. you're gonna say you gotta fix the mess that you were part of building? Absolutely not. Maybe the yeah. maybe the mess is you shouldn't have hired a first time head coach. You could have gotten someone better with a little bit more of a track record here. So yeah. like that's yeah. that's my biggest issue. I don't want to hear about a rebuild. This is not a rebuild. This is just what you are when you hire Manny Diaz to continue what's been going on that you weren't really happy with. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with that. And it's a, um, like I said, in context, if you want to talk about like 20 years ago to now, sure, they're in a rebuild, right? Because they're not winning 11 and 12 games a year anymore, right? Yeah. But other than that, don't call it a rebuild. The recruiting rankings speak for himself. Um, you, you talk about the SP Plus, you know, preseason projections in the coastal. Miami was the favorite by SP Plus. Like, there's, there's returning talent all over the field, offensively and defensively. You seem to have found the quarterback, Joey, right? It seems like the Jaron Williams thing was working through four or five games. Mm-hmm. They go away from that with Nikosi Perry. No, nothing against Nikosi Perry. He's been fine. Mm-hmm. He, he hasn't played poorly. But the quarterback position, Joey, is no longer an issue for the Hurricanes. It's not the same type of thing you were you were looking at the last couple of years where Malik Rozier was holding them back, and they had this great defense that was turning over everybody, right? And they had – 
you know, all this skill position talent and, oh, if they can only find a quarterback. Well, Joey, they return a lot of their roster year over year here. The last couple of years from that 10-win team, mm -hmm. they still have – of big time pieces left off of that team and they still can't find a way to translate it into wins joey they found a quarterback in fact they have multiple quarterbacks now and they still can't figure out a way to put enough points on the board and tackle defensively defensively is where the biggest surprise is for me offense is actually i mean i, I figured offensively they'd be okay if they found a quarterback well now that cozy perry and jaron williams save for the virginia tech game when they both turned the ball over a ton they've been pretty good all year it's been the defense that's held Miami back, which is a shocking thing to say. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a development. Um, I, I do want to move on from this game, but before we do, real quick, just again, I, I don't want to discount that this was a really great effort from Georgia Tech. They they stuck with it throughout, um, got a couple of weird scores in weird ways, but sometimes you got to win games weird. Um this is not a highly replicable thing. I don't think that you play. I think you play this game ten times. Georgia Tech maybe wins two of them. Maybe um, I don't think they're going to re repeatedly beat uh, Miami here. But at the very least, I mean, they, they got it done today, and that that's all you need. So um, good on them. Quick thing before we move on, to anything else, Mike? Can we do a quick little just hypothetical here? Let's do it. Miami's three and four. Um, yep. And by the way, I I predicted them at eight and four. Uh, I know I know what game you're about to play, Joey. Well, uh, Miami's three and four. Um, they have remain. They have five games left on the schedule. Um, one of them is it's technically a road game, but it's really it's a neutral site. It's more or less a home game against FIU. They're going to win that game. So let's say that there are four games remaining on the schedule, and they got to go two and two to make a bowl game. Ready, Mike? Let's do it. At Pittsburgh. Eh. At Florida State. Eh. Home against Louisville. Eh. At Duke. Eh. Miami going 2-2 two two across those games? They better be Pitt and Duke. They damn well better. <laughs> because you know what? You're going to have a highly motivated Louisville team that doesn't like Florida State very much, Joey. They play them every year, and mm -hmm. for whatever, that game seems to always get chippy. Louisville... Louisville's done a pretty good job recruiting the Florida, the state of Florida, right? Mm -hmm. like, there are a lot of kids that Louisville pulls in every year from the state of Florida that could have gone to Florida State, could have gone to Miami. Like, they get some skill position talent out of Florida, long story short. Mm -hmm. um, there's a reason why that game gets chippy, right? So yep. keep an eye on that. Louisville's a highly motivated team. Um, they have played better football than a lot of people have expected at points during this season. Um they have some talent. They have a coach who knows how to win. Keep an eye on that game, Joey. Um, mm -hmm. Florida State. Florida State's an interesting game for a couple different reasons, but number one, in my opinion, is the fact that Florida State matches up just as well against Miami as anyone else they're playing. Like, you have talent at skill positions, you have an offensive line that's equally as bad as Miami's, right? Oh, we mentioned you this to him a couple a, weeks ago. This is like that Spider-Man meme of two, pe two teams kind of pointing at each other like, hey, it's like the same team. It's literally the same team. Um, Florida State, quite honestly, has played better this year than Miami. Mm -hmm. um, and th there are some games of Florida State's loss where you left scratching your head. You know, we talked about how they would get out to big leads and then blow them beginning of the season. But, like, the last month or so, now we're going to get into Florida State in a second. Yeah. But last month or so, um, Florida State's been more consistent than Miami has. 
And mm-hmm. Florida State really hasn't been all that good, so that's telling you something. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if they make a bowl game. Long story short, I don't know. All I'm saying is there is there is justification for Miami fans getting a little bit nervous about bowl season right now. That's all yep. I'm saying. Yep. So we will uh, we will continue to monitor. Georgia Tech 28, Miami 21 in overtime. we got to keep moving here, Mike. Uh, what I thought was the next most shocking result, not, not necessarily who won, but what the margin was, Virginia 48, Duke 14. Uh, Virginia, after a couple of rough road contests where they, they got blown out in the second half by Notre Dame, and then they lost pretty ugly to Miami in South Florida, they got back home and got right back down to business. Bryce Perkins was a, a monster in this game, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, Virginia really just established dominance and took took really – I thought that the key seg- stretch of this game was in the second half, Duke set Virginia up with three short fields that resulted in 17 easy points for the Cavaliers. And I thought that was – you know even, even being 17 – having a 17 nothing lead at halftime, the fact that then they got another 17 easy points in the second half really helped put this game away. So – this game got away from Duke in the second half, but ultimately, I mean, Virginia definitely the better team here, and seems like they are back in, uh, we'll call it somewhat in control of the Coastal, although as much as anybody ever can be in control of the Coastal. Yeah, let's call them in the driver's seat. I don't know what that means, but that's what they're going to be in, in the Coastal, right? It's like being in the driver's seat of like a go-kart that the steering wheel's half broken, and you're going around some tight turns, and you might roll it at any moment, but... You're in the driver's seat. You're in the driver's seat. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're in the driver's seat. Their um, losing streak against Virginia Tech, ironically, is old enough to get into that driver's seat. <laughs> that's that's real convenient. Keep an eye on that game on Black Friday. That's anyway, even a full-on um, motor vehicle, you can get in that driver's seat legally. That's correct. Um, wow. How about that? Good job, Joey. That was good. Um, go. All right. Bryce Perkins and Quentin Harris. Dueling 13 of 26s. Mm-hmm. So, um, Quentin Harris, 13 of 26 for 88 yards. Um, touchdown good? and two picks and 11.9 QBR. Joey, is that bad? I, you know, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Um, That's like what, like six, maybe seven yards per completion, which is roughly horrific. Yeah, Not it good. was bad. Um, Bryce Perkins wasn't a whole lot better through the air, like mm-hmm. 141 yards and a pick mm-hmm. on 13 to 26 passing. You mentioned how good he was on the ground. That That's where this game changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was the ability of Virginia to run the football. How convenient is that? We were talking about Virginia being unable to run the ball, and then they they averaged almost four yards per carry as a team, had five rushing touchdowns. Wayne Tillapapa, 14 carries, 77 yards, two touchdowns, averaged five and a half yards per carry. That's significant. Um, they really need to run the ball a lot better and become a bit more balanced on offense to help out Bryce Perkins. They weren't exactly well balanced in this game. Like Perkins didn't throw the ball great, but they made an effort at it. So you can tell that's something that they know they need to improve moving forward throughout the rest of October and, you know, the final month of the season um, before they – kind of seal their fate one way or another. They got to figure out how to run the football here in the second half of the season. Um, so it was clear they were trying to do that. I, look, Virginia's the better team. Uh, Joey, I'm glad you and I both were smart enough to pick Virginia and not Duke and yeah. be able to see through the 
50 layers of crap that was their loss to Miami about a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and still acknowledge that Virginia is probably the best team in the Coastal Division and still found a way to win and, and get the job done against a Duke team that they're inherently better than. And it wasn't a surprise to me that Virginia won. It was more of a surprise that they won by the margin that they did. I'm surprised it got this got you know turned into this big of a blowout. Um, this was kind of similar to the Duke Virginia Tech game where I was like, yeah, it wouldn't be, wouldn't surprise me if Duke would win. And then it was like 45 to 10. I was like, oh my god, I didn't see that coming. So yeah. similar type of thing here. This was shockingly bad for Duke, unfortunately. So I think the thing that we have to recognize here too with this game, there's there is inherently some flukiness here. Um, Virginia scored touchdowns in this game on drives of 34, 21, and 40 yards. So they had they had touchdowns on three drives that started in Duke territory. They also kicked a field goal on a five-yard drive, meaning that one started at 21. And they had a long kickoff return for a touchdown by Joe Reed. So UVA scored 31 of 48 points without having to move the ball on offense more than like 40 yards on any of those drives. Oh, yeah, that helps. It, it helps, and it's, it's helps. not rec- replicable. So put it this way, like they, you know, Duke probably let this one get out of hand a little bit with a couple of really poorly timed turnovers. They had a bad turnover on downs in the first half, uh, way on their own end of the field that led to that 34-yard touchdown drive. So I think this is a little bit of Duke letting the game get away from them, being a little too aggressive at times and a little bit careless with the ball at times, but... I still feel comfortable that Virginia is the better team here. Um, their defense was really making things really, really tough on Duke's offense. Um, Duke had a rough time through the air. They had a rough time on the ground. Like there was not a lot of offense to be had from the boys in blue here. The boys in blue devil, as opposed to Cavalier blue. Virginia yeah. wearing, I guess, orange in this game. So I, I don't know. Anyways, blue devils had a hard time on offense. That's because in a large part because of the Cavaliers' defense. So a return to normalcy there for Virginia. Big win for the Hoos. Big win for the Hoos. 48-14, winners over Duke. That's all I got. Anything else here, Mike? Not good, man. All right. Boston College 45, NC State 24. What? What? Um, just when we start to think that maybe NC State is okay – Boston College comes in with a backup quarterback. Again, Anthony Brown out for the year. Dennis Grossell, Mike, 6 of 15 passing for 103 yards. No touchdowns, no picks. And you might be saying to yourself, that's not that good. I mean, How did Boston College score 45 points, Joey? How did they score 45 points? Six completions for 100 yards and no touchdowns? How on earth did they score 45 points? Well, Mike, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. Hit me with it. It's because Boston College <laughs> – A.J. Dillon, the D-Train, and David Bailey, the other D-Train, combined for 50 carries, 404 yards, and five touchdowns on the ground. That'll play. That, yeah, that'll, that'll play just fine. Uh, my goodness, they absolutely trounced NC State here. They're up 24-3 at halftime, and it really just went from there. Um, my gosh, A.J. Dillon, we've been waiting on this effort from him all year, and that's this is a, a real uh, throwback for him and kind of what we've seen from him in recent years. And then to get David Bailey, 16 carries for a paltry 181 and two touchdowns. I mean, NC State, their defense just got absolutely steamrolled in this game. Um, it didn't help probably the Wolfpack that Bailey Hockman gets benched in the first half in this game. Um 
goes four for ten for twenty-seven yards and a pick. Uh, he gets benched early after a uh, a pretty bad pick six with their uh, all. You know, put it this way: they were on the three-yard line and threw a pick six. Um, it was a like a eight-yard interception return for a touchdown. Uh, on the next drive, they turned it over on downs um, in a, a pretty rough spot where they went for it on fourth down, trying to go in and score a touchdown, and Bailey Hockman just completely misses an open receiver. And after that, he got benched. And it really just went from there. Um, ugly, ugly game for NC State. Huge win for Boston College. They needed this badly. And don't look now, Mike. The dudes may be on track to get back to 7-5, and five, just like old times. Hell yeah. Keep Steve Adazio's job alive, baby. So metal. This was one of their toss-up games that we were talking about when Boston College was on that like losing streak they were on, right? We were like, well, BC better win some of these toss-up games against teams like, oh, I don't know, NC State. <laughs> mm-hmm. Better find a way to win that one if you want to get back to bowl eligibility. Well, they found a way to win this game in a big way. I don't really have a whole lot to add other than NC State's defense was absolutely and totally atrocious. I know you hit on that, Joey, but the fact that they – allowed all over 400 yards of offense, almost 430 yards of offense just on the ground alone is a testament to how bad this was for NC State. They couldn't stop A.J. Dillon. Um, they really, really couldn't stop David Bailey. David Bailey actually he was averaging over 11 yards per carry in this game, Joey. <laughs> I mean, it's not just like a four-carry sample size. Like He had 16 carries for 181 yards. It's not like he wasn't being fed the ball. Like, that's a normal workload for a guy who's a second back in the backfield for a team that likes to run the football. Mm-hmm. Um, you knew they were going to run the ball more than usual, too, because you knew Anthony Brown was going to be out for this game. You knew that they were starting Grozelic quarterback, and they weren't as confident in him throwing the football. Mm-hmm. NC State knew all of this and still couldn't stop it. Unbelievably mm-hmm. bad. How, I mean, this is over seven yards per carry for an entire game. That's not even sack-adjusted. Yeah. I mean, that's atrocious for NC State inexcusable for Dave Dorn and that defense, man. That's This is a really, really bad loss for NC State. They're actually pretty lucky. They had a couple garbage-time touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They're actually lucky this wasn't a lot worse um, in the margin of defeat. This game was never as close as even the final score indicated. Just a complete and utter floor-mopping by Boston College. It really was. Um, the, the only other thing I, I think needs to be addressed here, um, coming out of this game, Mike, so we, we tend to agree that the Atlantic is the better of the two divisions here in the in the ACC. Is that is that fair? It's it's fair. It's an unfortunate statement to make, but it's fair. It's fair. So, but here's what I want to look at. So the top two teams in the Atlantic, you've got number four Clemson. We'll talk about them in a minute. They're seven and zero. Wake Forest six and one. We'll talk about them in a minute too. They're they're ranked like number twenty five, number twenty four, depending on where you look this week. The other five teams in the Atlantic right now. So this is Louisville, Boston College, Florida State, NC State, Syracuse. They are four and three, four and three, three and four, four and three, three and four. They're no better than the Coastal. Thank God for Clemson and Wake, huh? Yeah, you're you're just you get to wear the badge of honor getting to get wrecked by Clemson every year. That's all. Other than that, you're just the same as everybody else. You're not something special. NC State going four and three right now, one and two in conference. Like, what is NC State? I don't know. I don't think they're good. I really don't think they're good right now. I don't think they're good either. And Joey, I was mentioning this. Um, we were having a discussion even when they beat Syracuse 16 to 10. Like 
They have a closing stretch at Wake, home against Clemson, home against Louisville, at Georgia Tech, home against UNC. I don't see two wins there. Um, I don't think they go on the road and beat Wake. Sure as hell don't think NC State's beating Clemson. I don't think they're beating Louisville. I think they could beat Georgia Tech, but that's on the road at night. So that could get a little bit weird if you're looking short for another week, short, yep. yeah, short week. So if you're looking for another Georgia Tech win on the schedule, there's one. That's exactly what I was looking at, actually, by the way. Yeah, okay. So there it is. And then home against UNC to close it out. UNC's good still. Um, at least I'm going to call them good because Virginia Tech beat them and they need a feather in their cap. So I'm going to call them good as long as I can, Joey. Um, Sure as hell know they're better than NC State, even in a rivalry game. I, I, I'm not sure NC State makes a bowl game. And maybe that's an overreaction because we don't really know anything about the ACC, and maybe they end up you know, six or seven wins, and I'm all wrong about this. But that was a really, really ugly performance against a good running team in Boston College. You're facing a good rushing team in Wake Forest. You're facing a good rushing team in Clemson. You're facing a decent rushing team in Louisville. You're facing a decent now decent rushing team in Georgia Tech. And you're facing a not great rushing team in North Carolina. They can sling it all over the field. Mm -hmm. So figure it out on defense or else I'm not sure how they're even winning one of these remaining five games. It's my only issue is I don't really want to justify this performance from NC State's defense by saying that Boston College is a good rushing team. I mean, they are. But this is also far and away Boston College's best rushing team, best rushing performance of the year. Right? They, they averaged upwards of seven yards per carry. That's more than they averaged against Richmond. Yep. Like, yep. Th that's, oh. you know, approaching a yard and a half better than they did against Louisville last week, right? So, or, or two weeks ago. So it's, it's, yes, Boston College is good, but they haven't been anywhere near this good until NC State made them look this good. So I agree. In my mind, that's still a pretty bad look for the Wolfpack. Yeah, I mean, it's a good rushing team historically, and they have A.J. Dillon, and David Bailey's been really good. But, like, BC is not a better rushing team than they were a year ago, mm -hmm. to your point. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a testament to how bad NC State was on Saturday. That's all I'll say. Yep, absolutely. Boston College 45, NC State 24. Let's keep moving here. Wake Forest 22, Florida State 20. The streak is dead. The Steeman Deeks have a win once again over the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, this was a, an interesting game. It was uh, very much weather-affected. It was kind of wet and nasty throughout, uh, resulted in some lower-scoring stuff. Wake Forest held entirely to field goals in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they really struggled to finish drives here. That's probably a little bit of a testament to Florida State's defense, you know, kind of bowing up in the red zone a little bit. They ended up going into the halftime with a lead, 14-12, to 12, but uh, the Deeks come back and score 10 in the fourth quarter. Sam Hartman looked pretty good, 21-38. Um, reasonably good in a lot of ways. I, you know, I thought he was okay. Um, Wake Forest just found a way to get it done here. I, I don't know exactly how to explain it. Sage Surratt had a huge day, uh, seven catches for 170 yards. Um uh, Florida State, most of their offense at this point went through Cam Akers. He had a an absolute <laughs> workman's day, 30 carries for 157 yards and a score. Sounds um, about right. It felt like everything good for this game for Florida State was going through Cam Akers. Wake Forest finds a way to get it done, though. Um, Florida State outgains them, uh, had more first downs, outpossessed them, all this stuff, and yet Wake Forest comes up with the win. Um I got to think in a lot of ways, exercising those demons. I mean, that's a huge win for Wake Forest. Exercising those demon deacons, baby. The demon deeks. 
Hell yeah. The white claw fence. White claw fence. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, the plug and play quarterback, huh? Um, I guess. I guess. Sam Hartman's not bad, Joey. Like, if you got to. He played okay last year before Jamie Newman got in, and then we saw what Jamie, how Jamie Newman was able to elevate the offense. We were like, man, Sam Hart, Sam Hartman's like good. Jamie Newman is like a lot better, right? He's he's not making me question why Newman's the starter. Let's put it that way. He's not right. Like, there's clearly a different gear that Jamie Newman can can hit that Sam Hartman cannot, right? With that being said, if you got to turn to a backup, Sam Hartman's not a bad guy to turn to. And he was good. You know, over 300 yards passing, uh, that was good. 21 to 38 was fine. Hartman also had 43 yards on the ground. So, you know, you saw that Wake Forest legal game get weird, and Sam Hartman had a bunch of crazy running plays there down the stretch to, like, keep the team and Deacons alive. Um, they ended up losing that game to Louisville, but they bounced back here. Uh, it, was a, it was a complete team effort. I thought defensively they were pretty good. You know, you mentioned the James Blackman interception that he threw um obviously wake forest forcing a turnover on defense there is, is pretty important in this game uh cam Akers, you know 30 carries for 157 you know that's just what he does right um florida state loses three fumbles in this game so like obviously florida state probably wins this football game they don't turn the football over like they did um this close at Wake Forest is a one-point favorite. Congratulations for those of you on the right side of that bet. Wake Forest won by two points. If you waited long enough to bet Wake Forest. If you waited long enough to bet Wake Forest. We told you not to, so I hope you didn't. <laughs> um, I kind of hope you did, I guess, because they found a way. That's a nail-biter, though. Um, yeah, man, Florida State is really inconsistent. Like, that's the name of the game. They just... They, there are signs, right? Like, there are signs that they're getting this thing moving in the right direction, but it's so slow, and I'm just not sure Willie, Willie Taggart's going to have the opportunity to to keep it going long enough to see how this turns out. Because, you know, Florida State's got a proud tradition. They have a culture of winning there. Um, Willie Taggart had such a bad year last year, got off on the wrong foot, obviously loses his opening game to Virginia Tech to a Virginia Tech team that barely made a bowl game. And that was only the start of it last year, right? Like Florida State ends up missing a bowl game for the first time in over 30 years. You enter this year by blowing a couple of huge leads and losses. And like, you can see Florida State like steadily, like making strides week over week. But Joey, it's still a work in progress. Still not great consistently for four quarters. And when you play a team that's well coached like Wake Forest, you've got to bring it for all four. And they didn't. And that's the reason why they lost. They can't turn the ball over like that. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, I don't have a whole lot else here. Um, the, the only other guy that I wanted to shout out in this game that, you know, if you look at the stat sheet, it's he had a good day, but it doesn't really jump off at you. Kendall Hinton, seven catches for 93 yards. One-hander. Uh, at least one. He had a couple of absolutely filthy catches in this game. Um, he is a, a real treasure for them to have in the wide receiver court. It's, it's really amazing watching a guy like that transition as well as he has from a different position altogether. So um, good on you, Kendall Hinton. But, yeah, I mean, it's just this was a, this was a total toss-up game. Wake Forest comes out, uh, you know, in a plus-two turnover margin. And they come out the winners, and I think that's about the you know the most you could say about it. Um, Florida State missed a field goal, by the way, late in this game that would have given them the lead, um, and instead uh, they they miss it, and Wake Forest mostly kills the game. 
There was a little something that came afterwards, but we'll hit on that here in a little bit. Um, yep. At the end of the day, Wake Forest wins 22-20. Uh, Mike, anything else? We good. I think we're good. Pittsburgh, 27, Syracuse, 20. This was on Friday. Was it Thursday or Friday night? I think Friday night. Friday night. Friday night. Um, as I said to kick off the show, I've found the second worst team in the ACC, and it's definitely Syracuse in my mind. Now, the thing I should probably add, there's one little caveat here. Syracuse might have looked about as good as they looked all season when Tommy DeVito went out and Clayton Welch came in at quarterback. That was when the offense really started to move for Syracuse in a way that it kind of hasn't for a while. So maybe, once again, the backup's better than the starter, Mike? It says a lot about Syracuse if the backup's better than the starter. <laughs> 8 of 20 for 176 and two touchdowns. Like, yeah, it was a little better, right? Like, Sub 50%, but he was complete. I mean, it was like, what, almost eight yards per attempt and – or almost nine yards per attempt, and, and all that. I mean, just saying. Yeah. It, it wasn't consistent, but it was moving a little bit. It was not consistent at all, but big yawn. Sorry, yawn he, there. He is a hell of a runner, though. I, mean, I don't know if you saw, like, he's got a burst in a way that Tommy DeVito really does not, and it was him in the run game that seemed like it really opened some things up for Syracuse's offense in the way that Eric Dungey had it last year. And I'm glad you said that. Like, Syracuse has really struggled to run the ball this year. They miss Eric Dungy in that department, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they miss the run-and-gun mentality throwing the football, but they do miss him as a runner as well. Like, Clayton Welsh, you know, brought something different to the table running the football that we hadn't really seen out of the quarterback position all year long. Tommy DeVito, just not the runner there. Dungy is clearly not the runner Clayton Welsh is either. And, you know, with Syracuse's inability to run the football, it – Kind of reminds me of the situation Virginia Tech's in, right? Like Syracuse has talented receivers. They have talented skill position players, you know, across the board. And, you know, you're trying to find a way to run the football a little bit better. It's almost like, oh, do you sacrifice a little bit more through the air to get more going on the ground? And it almost seemed like they were able to do that on, on Friday night, right? And they turned to Clayton Welch and, you know, he opened some things up running the football. Still wasn't great, you know, when you look at the total team stats. I think Syracuse um, – you know, without the sack adjusted numbers, you know, they 34 carries for 51 yards is not very good. But Clayton Welch himself had 10 carries for 36 yards, which out of your quarterback is fine, right? Um, you know, throwing the football, like you mentioned, just okay, like under 50% of his passes, but goes for over 100, almost 180 yards and two touchdowns. So that's good. So there are aspects of this that were impressive right and you know Syracuse offense looked better I mean this is very much like Virginia Tech with Hendon Hooker it was the same sort of deal they sacrifice a better passer to bring in more of a runner at the position and it seemed to work out a little bit better for them offensively um Pittsburgh on the other hand like Kenny Pickett was good again 18 of 33 232 two touchdowns AJ yeah. Davis 16 carries 103 yards and a touchdown like Pitt was good enough offensively to get the job done. And more importantly, they were good enough defensively and continue to be good enough defensively to get in these battles with mediocre ACC teams and come out on the other side. And Joey, that's how you emerge from the ACC's circle of suck. Pittsburgh's so annoying to me. <laughs> like, like their defense is legitimately really good this year. And, and again, that is a, a 
change of pace from what it's been for several years. They come away with this game from with nine sacks, Mike. They, they got to Syracuse's quarterbacks nine times. And it's not like Syracuse has some great wall of offensive linemen or anything like that, but like the fact that it was a Power 5 team in a conference game and you got nine sacks, that's there's something to be said for that. Like That's really good. Here's the other thing. You realize Pittsburgh leads the conference in passing attempts. Everybody at this point has played seven games. Pittsburgh has thrown the ball in seven games more than anybody else has across the conference. Would you like to guess, Mike, where Pittsburgh comes in in yards per attempt on those passes? Oh, boy. You're at the bottom of the conference, I would say? Just take, just take a wild gander. Just just in the conference? Yeah, just in, in conference play, the 14 teams. 12. Right at it. Yep, it's 12. Hell yeah. And they are a, a tenth of a yard better than Duke and Georgia Tech. Otherwise, they would be in the absolute basement. Um, Game manager picket. Yeah, I mean, they are hell-bent on throwing the ball as much as possible, and yet they're not good at it. And then you might say, well, yeah, okay, they should probably run the ball. How does Pittsburgh fare in the uh, you know yards per attempt rushing, you ask? They're 12th, Mike. 12th out of 14 in the conference. So in passing yards per attempt and rushing yards per attempt, on both ends, they are 12th. Pittsburgh's bad at offense. They're bad at scoring. They're, they're being carried by their defense here. And that's it's fair. It happens to some people. But it's just, it's just frustrating knowing what this team could be if they had, like, an average offense. Like, they're probably a ranked, you know, borderline undefeated team right now. It's it started to make sense how they had a close game against Penn State. It started to make sense how they beat UCF. It's frustrating, you know. Again, just I don't know. I feel like they're better than this, Mike. They can be, but they're not. Yeah, this is a um, this is a average offense and a good defense in a bad conference, and they're finding out ways to win. I mean, they're. Their five and two is a little bit less hollow than Virginia Tech's five and two, mm-hmm. but it's still hollow, right? Yeah, like there's a still a lot to be desired in that five and two record, much like there is with Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech on a much greater scale. Um, I hate tying everything back to Virginia Tech, but they're like the perfect cherry on top for this conference this year. There's so many parallels you can draw from the, the how bad they've been mm-hmm. at times to what the rest of the conference has been, and there's a reason why this conference is underperforming, and there are just so many different threads of just commonality between all these teams. They're just like between five and two and three and four, right? Like there's just a lot of things that teams are doing poorly. A lot of things that teams are doing well at times and just not doing it as consistently, or they have one aspect that they're doing more consistently than other teams. And that's why they've been able to pick up a couple more wins. It's just, it's a remarkably mediocre conference this year. And uh, we'll get into the best team in the conference here in a second, Joey, Mm -hmm. but they haven't been all that great either, and it really makes you wonder about the quality of this conference right now on on its, you know, j- just when you're taking a look at it from, you know, really high level. New week, same discussion. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's the same thing. Pittsburgh 27, Syracuse 20. Let's just go there. Last game we got here, number three, Clemson 45, Louisville 10. Uh, Louisville takes their turn, taking their lumps from Clemson. Uh, this is a 35-point win for the Tigers. Um you know, we talk about Clemson's been a little bit underwhelming in a lot of ways this year. 
I, I'm just telling you, Mike, I think they came out of the bye week a couple weeks ago here, and they are right back to buzzsaw war machine Clemson that we are used to. Um, Clemson outgains Louisville 551 to 263. They do all that without really any sort of time of possession advantage. Um, this was a, an absolutely dominant effort from the Tigers. Uh it is what it is. It doesn't make me think any less of Louisville. Uh, I think we kind of thought Louisville was going to be taking these kinds of lumps. It was a closer game than it was last year. That's not really saying much. Um, only interesting thing here maybe was that uh, Clemson's Andrew Booth gets kicked out of this game for throwing a punch and trying to uh, set up some punt protection. I think it was a fair catch anyways, but he, uh, he gets caught throwing a punch, gets thrown out of the game, and uh, shortly thereafter – Dabo Swinney makes him ride the manager's bus back from Louisville to Clemson. Hell yeah, Dabo. You're not getting on the damn plane, sir. Not an hour and 45-minute flight for you. It is an eight-hour bus ride with the managers. The, I'm giving uh, you that Wayne Kiffin punishment. That's right. You get the worst of it. So um, we'll see if he ever learns from that. But nothing much to say here. Trevor Lawrence does a couple of picks. He's got a lot more interceptions this year than anybody ever thought he would. I, I remember seeing a total before the year of, I think, so you three and a half or four and a half interceptions the entire year. We're here six, seven games in, and he's thrown eight picks. But, you know, then again, when has he ever really had to be careful around an opposing defense? So maybe it's just a little bit of overconfidence that'll work itself out as he plays better competition. I don't really know. Um, that's it. Travis Etienne, 14 carries, 192 yards, and a touchdown. He continues to be unstoppable. Yeah. This is Clemson. That's all I got. That's just it, it's Clemson. Yeah, um, Travis Etienne, fourteen yards per carry, almost. So, is that it? That's that's it. Um, Only fourteen per carry. Okay. Yeah, it was actually thirteen point seven. Good enough. Um, Pshaw. Uh, the only real concern coming out of this game is Trevor Lawrence not looking particularly good throwing the football, like. He was still twenty to twenty nine. Like it, this is all relative. All right, let's let's back up a step. This is all relative when we're talking about Clemson because they're going to make the playoff. Yeah, they're, I'm listening, Joey. I'm listening to national radio this morning, like um, on on Sirius. Yeah, I, I'm listening to them discuss Clemson, right? And you got a bunch of SEC guys on there, and I I won't name names, but you're hearing these SEC guys talk about Clemson and they're saying, oh, Clemson, you know, doesn't look all that impressive again, kind of slogs their way through the game. I mean, not really, right? Like, it was it was 45 to 10. I mean, at one point in this game, it was 24 to 3. Like, this is not one of those games that, like, slogged through, almost got upset, like, didn't look very convincing. I mean, it was 45 to 10, and they basically took their foot off the gas. I just... I don't 30, know. It was thirty-eight to three with ten minutes left. Like, yeah, like it's a fun, it's a fun narrative to peddle that like Clemson is struggling because Trevor Lawrence threw a couple of interceptions that didn't matter. Like, it's a fun narrative to peddle, but you know these national people are saying, yeah, well, Clemson could get bit before the playoff. Oh, okay, against who? <laughs> Have you seen the ACC? Like, give me a break. Clemson could play this this quote unquote poorly throughout the rest of the year and still go undefeated, still have a 14 or 15 point margin of victory throughout the rest of the season. Like this is, this is all relative. Now when it gets to the playoff, they do need to step it up a notch. They remind me a little bit 
this is in a, in a worse conference, but they remind me of the 2016 Ohio State team coming off of a national championship, one of the most talented teams in the country, maybe the most talented team in the country coming into the season, and never really got going, like had a couple of losses that they really shouldn't have had. And, you know, maybe Clemson has that in a better conference, but they're not going to have that in the ACC this year. Like the ACC is not good enough to push Clemson. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like even if you don't think Clemson's very good, even if you don't think they're – I mean, everybody thinks they're good, but even if you don't think they're like elite good, like top three, four, five team in the country good, like they're still going to be in the top four at the end of the year. I'm sorry. Like they're not going to not put an undefeated power five team who's coming off of a national championship game, national championship win, by the way, by the way, and blowout fashion over Alabama last year, returning all almost all the same talent, at least on the offensive side of the football. They're not going to put an undefeated team in the playoff that hasn't lost in two years. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like they're gonna make the playoff, so you know. Deal with it. Yeah, it just makes me. It makes me wonder, man. It really makes me wonder. I mean, Clemson needs to play better. They need to be more consistent. I, I get all that, but like, how motivated are they going to be? Like, that's the biggest challenge for Dabo throughout the rest of the year. Keep your team motivated against all these bad teams you have to play. Well, I, I think that's the biggest thing to watch with Clemson as we go through the year is just how does the team ramp up over time? It seems like they are playing. I, Tell me if I'm wrong. They're playing at a really a significantly higher level now than they were a month ago. Is that fair? I would agree. Yep, I would agree. But they're not exhausting themselves. They're not playing at peak efficiency. You know, they're not peaking too early. So there's been some discussion, and maybe we're, you know, really thinking Dabo's playing 5D chess and he's actually playing checkers or something like that. But it, it feels like there is a, a longer-term plan here where Clemson realizes that they can win all these games comfortably get themselves there without really fully exerting themselves and fully showing everything in the playbook and really, sh- you know, doing every last thing that it takes because it just doesn't take that with them. Yeah. I think Dabo would like them to play better. I think you'd like Trevor Lawrence in particular to be playing better than he is right now. And, I, you know, I do think that even if they don't kick it into quote-unquote high gear, they could be doing some things better right now to – improve themselves and put them into a better position with the national narrative. It doesn't freaking matter. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're undefeated and they win the conference, they're going to the playoff. That's all they they're get. going to the playoff. Cause then they, I mean, they, they won the national championship last year by four touchdowns against Alabama, mm-hmm. the best team in the last decade and a half. Mm-hmm. Like this is not, or at least the last decade anyway. I mean, this is not a situation where they're going to leave Clemson out. Clemson goes 15 and 0 last year. You know, obviously they're seven and zero this year. Like they haven't lost in twenty two games. They won the national championship last year. Say they win the next six games, so you know they win the next five regular season and the conference championship game. They're going to be sitting at thirteen and zero, winners of their last twenty eight games, winner of the national championship last year. That team is not going to be outside of the playoff. Um, there aren't many people peddling that, but to the people who are, stop it. Stop mm-hmm. being ridiculous. Like that, they're, the committee is not going to do that. Yeah, it's just it's really not the time to be talking about that, and we can readdress this in a month when it's playoff time because that's the point where you really want to see them firing on all cylinders. You want to see them starting to peak, going there into conference championship season as we start working towards the playoff. But for now, they are in as good a shape as you could ask for. So that's all. Yep. That, that's all that matters. Clemson forty-five, yep. Louisville ten. Mike, you want to give out a couple of awards here? Do it. Let's do it. Going to Simone of the Week, uh, we mentioned that there was a, a little bit of some shenanigans that happened at the very end of the Wake Forest-Florida State game. Um, 
so put it this way, Wake Forest gets stuffed. Uh, Florida State spends their last time out. Wake Forest punts the ball, and uh, Florida State has the ball backed up on their own end of the field with about 35 seconds to go and no timeouts. And in two plays, Florida State managed to end the game as follows. Uh, James Blackman takes the snap, has all sorts of time to throw, has nobody anywhere near him, and thanks to the weather, he rears back to pass and just drops the ball. It was a 100% uninflicted fumble. He falls on it, and so Florida State is safe. Is that, is that a bad omen, Mike? Real bad. Yeah. Um, well, it gets probably even worse in the next play. Uh, clock's running. Florida State doesn't have timeouts. With about, I don't know, 10, 12 seconds, they snap the ball. James Blackman drops the snap. It wasn't a good snap for what it's worth. And again, the ball's kind of slick. Falls on it. Clock's still running. And that was the end of the game. Whoops. So Florida State <laughs> gets the ball back with 35 seconds to go and ends up losing about, I don't know, eight yards on two un- uninflicted fumbles. They just It was self-inflicted, put it that way. So that's not great. Uh, go ACC to that, Florida State. Good, uh, good ball security there, even in a wet game. Real bad. Real, real bad. And you know what? It's one of those things where you have those two self-inflicted wounded plays at the end of the game. But, I mean, you had three other turnovers that were pretty bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like three other fumbles anyway that were pretty bad. James Blackman threw an interception. That wasn't good. Like you had four turnovers. You still couldn't hold on to the ball at the end. Like, come on now. Yeah. Yeah. So good on you, Florida State offense. Uh, Mike, the Brandon Gordon Memorial, you tried award. Um, let's just say that I, I don't know that Cam is necessarily going to be happy about this. But I don't think he's going to be shocked. <sighs> Joey, I think the U Tried Award has to go to Miami for hiring Manny DS. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys tried to make a good hire on short notice after Mark Rick skipped town, but oh man, you guys failed so miserably. This has been a disaster. Hey, but good news, you guys are in a rebuild. <sighs> It'll get better. This is really ugly at the beginning, but it'll get better. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll get better. Yeah, it'll get better. Sure, yeah. Sure. I mean, everybody, everybody was talking about Justin Fuente being on the hot seat. It's <laughs> adorable. Man. Man. Adorable. Then Manny Diaz happened. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Miami, you tried with this whole head coach hiring thing. It's, I, it's not 100% doomed at this point, but no. it's not looking good. So it's not looking good. And, and you know, Manny Diaz, you got to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because it's only been like half a season. But good mm-hmm. Lord, man. Come on. No kidding. Come on now. No kidding. Uh, ACC Player of the Week, Mike. You witnessed you witnessed greatness in the second half in Blacksburg. None other than Quincy Patterson, a quarterback, comes in Your off boy. the bench. My boy, Quincy. Uh, third string quarterback, goes for 122 yards on the ground. Freaking bulldozer in the backfield, as you called him, Joey. Uh, makes freight a train. big time. What's that? Freight train. Freight train. Yes. Freight train. Bulldozer. Um, Pick your oversized heavy machinery. Tonka, yeah. Oversized Tonka truck. Like, <laughs> however you want to put it, that, that's what he was. He was running over, <laughs> around, and through uh, this North Carolina defense. Obviously, he throws a huge, huge touchdown pass uh, in the second overtime to Damon Hazleton on fourth down and two um, when Virginia Tech was trailing by seven. So that was the ball game, and he put it right on the money. 
uh, in the corner of the end zone. So that was an extremely clutch pass by a quarterback who supposedly couldn't throw the football all that well. He made a big throw when it counted. So he was making plays on the ground uh, through the air, had a 55-yard touchdown run, had the decisive two-point conversion to win the game, um, rallied the team, rallied the fan base. Just huge win for Virginia Tech. Enormous. ACC Player of the Week, congratulations, Quincy Patterson. Team of the Week, Mike. I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but I kind of think it has to be Georgia Tech. Not only an 18-point underdog do they cover, but they win the game outright. First win of the Jeff Collins era. Uh, first conference win. First road win of the Jeff Collins era at Georgia Tech. Um, huge, huge win for them. I think they got to be our Team of the Week. I think they have to be. Um, they were 18-point underdogs. Nobody was expecting them to win this football football game against Miami. Um, I took Miami and the over, I believe, mm-hmm. um, or Miami and the under. I can't even remember. Anyway, I lost both of them. By the way, I and lost you both took bets. the under. <laughs> I took the under. Okay, I lost both bets, so that was good. Um, <laughs> so shout out Miami. Appreciate y'all showing up uh, to a game that you should win against. No offense, Joey, but one of the worst teams in the Power Five right now, which is that's a fine thing to say. I, I don't take offense to facts, Mike. Okay. I was hoping not. <laughs> it turns out Miami's one of the worst teams in the Power Five. Hey, got him. Um, I saw somewhere if you had a parlay money line ticket on Georgia Tech, Illinois, who beat Wisconsin, and there was another, there was another one somewhere. It's like a three-team money line parlay of these three major underdogs that all won outright. Bet a hundred dollars would have won you upwards of two hundred grand. That'll pay the bills. Yeah, that'll that'll cover. Um, so if you're uh, looking to pay the bills, I cannot possibly recommend doing that because that that'll never happen again, ever. I, I mean, maybe it will, and, and maybe you'll be lucky enough to bet on it next time. And if you if you lose that bet, you can find him at Mike McDaniel CFB on Twitter. It's probably his fault. Oh boy, he's been on it's a heater. Remember, my definitely my fault. <laughs> Mike, that's all I got on week eight. Anything else? We crushed this podcast, Joey. We sure little long, did. little long. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot to talk about though. So wild week. Um, there was a lot of these games got weird in ways that we really did not anticipate. So um, yeah, good recap though. So. We're going to get out of here. we got to come back here shortly and uh, preview week nine. Uh, but in the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FGRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, Mike, they can send us an email with their questions, their comments, their concerns, all of it. They can send it to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, and most importantly, on the Anchor app. Uh, we ask that they do go find us there and you know rate, review, subscribe, do all those great things. Mike, uh, you want to tell them where they can find us on social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Jerry. Please do. Please do. That's all I got, Mike. You want to come back and uh, recap or recap preview week nine? Week nine already? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is freaking flying by. Yeah. I don't like this. I don't. I don't either. This is. It feels like this happens every year. We get to. We get around this time. We're like, oh my god, slow down. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's this is this is like Christmas season. It's like, can it last forever? And then it just like flies by. And we but on the other school. hand, there's the excitement of bowl season just around the corner. Oh, can't wait! Can't wait! You excited for Virginia Tech to go to the Quick Lane Bowl? 
Oh, the quick lane bowl. I saw a sun bowl projection this morning. So oh, for the love, really? Nothing fires me up like going to El Paso to watch my alma mater play. I can't wait to watch this whole con- conference get slaughtered in bowl games. By it's going to be conferences. so bad, so bad, man. Look for NC State to get beat by like a MAC team in the Motor City Bowl or the Little Caesars. What the Quick Lane Bowl? That one? Yeah, the Detroit Bowl. NC State's making the bowl game. They hope. Uh, all right, Mike. That's all I got. You want to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll talk soon. Yep. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.